Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. It's, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, babkite, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now we're going to stop here in our story. We'll come back next week and deal with what happens next. But we're going to stop here tonight and unlock some wonderful, wonderful truths from this section of the scripture for tonight. Now, as you remember, King Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream of an image made of lessening values of metals that represented the kingdoms of the world until the time that Jesus comes and sets up his final kingdom on the earth. We dealt with that last week. King Nebuchadnezzar was told that the head of gold represented him and his kingdom. But not long after this, he goes and he makes a huge image of all gold and demands it to be worshipped along with the other gods of Babylon. Look again at verse 12. In verse 12 of chapter 3, there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So he wasn't replacing the worship of foreign gods. He was just adding this other image to their list of gods that they had to worship. Now, just like the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream had the appearance of a man. Remember, it had a head and it had arms and chest and it had legs and toes. The word image that we see here in chapter 3 
has the exact same meaning that this image had a human form as well. Now, we don't know if this image that he made of gold actually looked like him, but we know it looked like a human. For it had a human form. And the scripture tells us, if you were to take the scripture here and do the math and kind of translate it into our heights and widths, this uh, image was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Now, think about that. Nine, 90 feet high is 9 stories tall. But some people say, hang on for a second, if it's nine stories tall and only nine feet wide, that's going to be a real funny looking image of a human. But we don't know that the toes were on the ground in this image. All we know is that it was that tall. Chances are it could have had a big base and then the image was on top of that and the whole thing on top. You know, we don't know how at all, but it's an image that looks like a human, has a human form, and it was all gold. Now, remember, um, Nebuchadnezzar has been told in this dream, you're the head of gold, but then there's going to come another kingdom and another kingdom and another. And what does he go and immediately do after the interpretation of the dream? He goes and makes an image that's what? All gold. In other words, there'll be no other kingdoms. It's me. Now, Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, all being high up in Babylon's kingdom, must have known about this order. Go back to chapter 2 with me and look at verses 48 and 49. Daniel chapter 2, verses 48 and 49. It says, Then king De the king, Nebuchadnezzar, gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Now Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. So here we see in our study from last time, they already were raised up in power, in authority in Babylon. Go now with me to chapter 3, and we'll go to verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather... The satraps, the prefects, there's that we just heard in chapter 2, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of all the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. So as you put the two together, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all had to probably have been invited to be a part of this worship of the image. They knew about this order. Now, even though we don't see Daniel mentioned in this story in chapter 3, I think we already know from what you're going to see if you haven't read Daniel yet, or if you do know the book of Daniel, Daniel doesn't bow down to it either. But in this story, the main characters are Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. That's their Hebrew names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their Babylonian names. And the king pretty much makes this statement. Whoever doesn't bow down. And it, by the way, this order, as we saw in our passage for today, is to all peoples, languages, nations. Remember, he's, he's been given authority over all the world at that time. The order is, if you don't bow down when you hear the music, you will be immediately thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, it's also interesting that it appears that whenever you hear the sound of the music, they're to just stop and worship and bow down to the image. I'm reminded, if you've ever been over in certain parts of the world that have a Muslim culture, all throughout the day at certain times, music would play over the loudspeakers and everybody has to stop and pray and bow. And I, I kind of picture this a little bit. Daniel, not mentioned in our story, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't do it. Now, I'm going to stop right now and deal with a question that some may have. 
Some may say, wait a minute, Jim, didn't we see last week that all peoples, nations, and languages were given by God into Nebuchadnezzar's hand? And that he could do whatever he wanted with the people under his power. Didn't we read that? And by the way, if you don't remember that, let me take you back to that. Go with me real quick to Daniel chapter 2. And look at verses 36 through 38. Daniel chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. Daniel speaking, it says, This was the dream. Now we will tell the king of its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. So here, God's the one who gave him this authority over all these people. Go with me back to Jeremiah 27. We looked at this last time we were together. Jeremiah 27, look at verses 4 through 7. Jeremiah 27, verses 4 through 7. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men, the animals, and the animals that are on the earth. And I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. So here it says, God says, I've given him authority over all these people to do what he wants. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Daniel chapter 5. Look at verses 18 and 19. In Daniel chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. So some might say, wait a minute, Jim, it appears in this story that um, Nebuchadnezzar shouldn't be in trouble for doing this. I mean, God gave him that authority. God gave him the ability to have control over all the peoples. And he got to do, because God said he could, whatever he wanted. Why is Nebuchadnezzar in trouble for doing this? Why is this a bad thing? And shouldn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel just submit to this king who's been given authority over him? I want to deal with that question that may, may be in some people's minds. Here's the first thing I want you to understand. Even when God puts people under human authority, by his design, even though we are to humble ourselves under that authority and submit to that authority, it does not remove us from still being under God's ultimate authority. I want to show you that from Scripture. God did give Nebuchadnezzar that authority and that power. We're going to deal with why in a little bit. But just because you and I are under human authority, if you've never understood that, you need to go back and read Romans chapter 13. And God's designed human authority for a reason. And even if you don't agree with that human authority, we're to submit ourselves to that human authority until what? That human authority tells us to do something that contradicts God's ultimate authority. Go with me to Acts chapter 4. Let me show you what I mean. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 31. 
says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, before I go any further, who's this group of people that has decided that the disciples aren't to preach in the name of Jesus anymore? The Sanhedrin. Who are the Sanhedrin? What do we know about them? The Jewish leaders. They're the ones who have been given authority by God over the people of Israel. The same people that put Jesus to death. And now they're saying to the Jew, the, the, Jesus' disciples, we, we're going to command you not to, to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. By the way, wasn't, what's that? Jesus had already told them to go into all the world and make disciples. But aren't they to just submit themselves to the authority that's over them? I mean, the Bible says very clearly we're to humble ourselves, submit ourselves even to governors and kings. Yes, until what they say to do contradicts God's ultimate authority. Now, that doesn't mean you get to pick which laws the government makes that you like or don't like. There's going to be laws they make that don't contradict God's authority. Like taxes. There are a lot of Christians say, well, my authority is God. Well, your authority that God told you to submit yourself to the authorities that are over you. And if you're to pay taxes, pay your taxes. The Bible is really clear about that. Before I go any further, put a finger here in Acts chapter 4 and go with me real quick to Acts 23. Let me show you something here that some of you may or may not know. Go to Acts 23. Again, keep the finger in Acts 4. We'll come back to that. In Acts 23, let me show you how this, this balance of submission to authority, how, what it looks like. In Acts 23, verses 1 through 5, Paul's been arrested. He's standing before a Jewish council and also a Roman council. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, talking to the Jews, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck. Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Look at that. Paul standing before the religious leaders and Ananias says, slap him on the face. Strike him on the mouth. And Paul gets upset and he calls him a horrible name. You whitewashed wall. <laughs> and they said, are you, you going to talk like that to the high priest? And Paul immediately humbles himself and said, guys, I'm sorry. I didn't know he was the high priest. Because the law of God says you're not to speak evil of your rulers. And he humbled himself in that situation. Go back to Acts chapter 4. So the Jewish religious leaders have told them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. We'll go to verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together were shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. All right, we've seen Paul humble himself in front of these religious leaders. But we see these guys not humble themselves. Why? The difference is Paul submitted himself in a situation where he was submitting to the law of God by not speaking evil about his rulers. These men were being told by the religious leaders to not preach in the name of Jesus. And like you had said, their ultimate authority had already said, go and preach. So they said to him, guys, let me ask you, since you're religious leaders, whom should we listen to, man or God? So there's going to be times, folks, that there's going to be laws and rules that we don't like. But they don't contradict the word of God and the ultimate authority of God. That's why when they came to Jesus, when he was on the earth and trying to trap him and they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? They didn't really care about. They just wanted to get him to say something that would get him in trouble with one group or the other. And what does Jesus say? Whose coin? Show, take me a, show me a coin. Whose image is on it? Well, it's Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what God, what's God's. Folks, don't take your privilege, if you will, of being children of the ultimate authority to the point that you don't think you're under any authority. No, you still are. But even though God had given Nebuchadnezzar authority over all people's languages and nations. And those men humbled themselves, learned their languages, went through all their school for the three years, submitted to all that. There came a point where the king said, bow down to this idol that I've made. And that contradicted God's word. And they would not do it. Now, the second thing, though, is this. And this is going to get deep, so I hope you stick with me here. Even though Nebuchadnezzar was given this authority and power to take Israel captive, God was using him to judge Israel in Babylon. Sorry, using him to judge Israel. And Babylon did to Israel what, he wanted, what the king wanted to do and what God knew they would do. But Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were still guilty before God for everything they did. I'm going to say it again and hope you understand. I'm going to use some scripture to illustrate this. God gave Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon all that authority to do whatever he wanted to do. At the same time, God, who already knows all, knew what they were going to do, and he used them as his instrument to bring judgment and discipline on the people of Israel and other parts of the world. But that doesn't remove their responsibility and their guilt before God for everything they did. Let me ask you a question. Is Satan a tool of God's right now? 
He's already been defeated, yet for a season and for God's purposes, he's allowed him to still, with his demons, do some stuff on the earth. Again, he can't do anything without God's permission. But when God uses Satan, he's a tool of God, right? He's a puppet, if you will, in the hand of God. Satan's doing what Satan's going to do, because that's who he is. Does that mean Satan's innocent for everything he does? No. Go with me real quick to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew 18, look at verse 7. It says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it's necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. In other words, there's going to be sin in the world, and God's allowed it for a season, but woe to those whom, through whom it comes. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Look at verse 24. Matthew 26, verse 24. Son of man, Jesus said, goes as it was written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? Did Judas have a choice? Yes. Was Judas given the authority to do and the permission of the father to do what he was going to do? Does that make Judas innocent? No. So even though Nebuchadnezzar had been given authority to do whatever he wanted over all these nations, Nebuchadnezzar could have used his power and authority to do good stuff. He used it to do evil. And even though he's made this image under the permission and the authority of God and he gets to do what he wants, he will be held accountable and Babylon will be held accountable for everything that they've done. Let me take you back to Jeremiah chapter 50. Let me, go with me to Jeremiah chapter 50 and look at verses 1 through 20. God's using the prophet Jeremiah to talk to the nation of Israel, the judgment that's coming on them through Babylon because of their sin. But listen closely to what God says about the fact that he's going to use Babylon, but Babylon's going to be held accountable. Jeremiah 50, look at verses 1 through 20, and then we'll jump to verse 28. 5-0, Jer Jeremiah 50, 5 -0. I'm glad you asked the word that the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, concerning the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah, the prophet. Declare among the nations and proclaim, set up a banner and proclaim, conceal it not and say, Babylon is taken, Bel is put to shame, Merodach is dismayed, her images are put to shame and her idols are dismayed. For out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land a desolation and none shall dwell in it, both man and beast shall flee away. In those days and at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together weeping as they come and they shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, saying, come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them and their enemies have said, we are not guilty for they have sinned against the Lord. Their habitation of righteousness, the Lord of hope of, of their fathers. 
Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as male goats before the flock. For behold, I'm stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows are like skilled, a skilled warrior who doesn't return empty handed. Chaldea shall be plundered and all who plunder her shall be sated, declares the Lord. Though you rejoice, though you exalt, O plunderers of my heritage, though you frolic like a heifer in the pasture and neigh like the stallions, your mother shall be utterly ashamed and she who bore you shall be disgraced. Behold, she shall be the last of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land and a desert because of the wrath of the Lord. She shall not be inhabited, but shall be an utter desolation. Everyone who passes by Babylon shall be appalled and hiss because of all her wounds. Set yourselves in array against Babylon all around. And all you who bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Raise a shout against her all around. She has surrendered. Her bulwarks have fallen. Her walls are thrown down. For this is the vengeance of the Lord to take vengeance on her, to do to her as she has done. Cut off from Babylon the sower and the one who handles the sickle in the time of harvest. Because the sword of the oppressor, everyone shall turn to his own people and everyone shall flee to his own land. Israel is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. First, the king of Assyria divided. Him, and now at last Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has gnawed his bones. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing punishment on the king of Babylon and his land as I punish the king of Assyria. I will restore Israel to his pasture and he shall feed on Carmel and in Bashan and his desire shall be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and in Gilead. In those days and at that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel and there shall be none and sin in Judah and there shall none shall be found for I will pardon those who I leave as a remnant. Now, we're going to jump over to verse 28 real quick, but just let me catch you up with what's going on. God says, even though Babylon says we're, 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 we're innocent of everything we've done to Israel because God gave us this authority. Oh, no. God says, I'm paying attention and everything you've done to my heritage, I'm going to do to you in return. And in this is a prophecy about the final judgment of Babylon in the last days and at that time. And at that point, when God brings his final judgment on Babylon. And by the way, we don't have time to get into it. If you've been a part of my revelation study, we may get into it a little bit in Daniel later on. I can show you scripturally that Babylon will be the center of the headquarters of the Antichrist kingdom. God's going to bring a final judgment on Babylon and all that for all they've done. But here it says they think, well, we're innocent. We're, we're guiltless because God let us do this. And no, God says, I've been paying attention. Everything you did to Israel, you will be judged because of it. Jump down to verse 28. A voice. They flee and escape from the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God. Vengeance for his temple. Summon archers against Babylon, all those who bend the bow and camp around her. Let no one escape. Repay her according to her deeds. Do to her according to all that she has done. For she has proudly defied the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, her young men shall fall in her squares and all her soldiers shall be destroyed on that day, declares the Lord. Behold, I'm against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts, for that your day has come. Your time when I will punish you. The proud one shall stumble and fall with none to raise him up and I will kindle the fire in his cities and it will devour all that is around him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the people of Israel are oppressed and the people of Judah with them. All who took them captive have held them fast. They refuse to let them go. But their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will surely plead their cause that he may give rest to the earth, but unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. Babylon will be judged for everything that they've done to Israel. By the way, let me just ask you a quick question before I take you to Jeremiah 51. Are there some wicked people in the world right now planning some bad stuff on the globe? 
Has God given them authority for a season? Yes. If you don't, you have to go back to what we've been looking at. God determines who's in power. They will be held accountable for every decision that they make during this time. Go to Jeremiah 51. Look at verses 1 through 5. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will stir up the spirit of a destroyer against Babylon, against the inhabitants of leb and I will send to Babylon winnowers, and they shall winnow her, and they shall empty her land when they come against her from every side on the day of trouble. Let not the archer bend his bow, and let him not stand up in his armor. Spare not her young men. Devote to destruction all her army. They shall fall down slain in the land of the Chaldeans and wounded in her streets. For, the, for Israel and Judah have not been forsaken by their God, the Lord of hosts, but the land of the Chaldeans is full of guilt against the Holy One of Israel. Jump down to verse 24. I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea before your very eyes for all the evil that they have done in Zion, declares the Lord. Jump over to verse 33. Look at verses 33. Verse 33 through 49, for thus does the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor at the time when it's, it is trodden yet a little while and the time of her harvest will come. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has rinsed me out. The violence done to me and to my king's kinsmen be upon Babylon. Let the inhabitant of Zion say, My blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea. Let Jerusalem say, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your cause and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her fountain dry. And Babylon shall become a heap of ruins, the haunt of jackals, a horror and a hissing without inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall growl like lion's cubs. While they are inflamed, I will prepare them a feast and make them drunk that they may become merry. Then sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, declares the Lord. I'll bring them down like lambs to the slaughter and like rams and male goats. How Babylon is taken, the praise of the whole earth seized. How Babylon has become a horror among the nations. The sea has come upon Babylon. She is covered with tumultuous waves. Her cities have become a horror, a land of drought and desert, a land in which no one dwells, through which no son of man passes. And I will punish Bel in Babylon and take out of his mouth what he has swallowed. The nations shall no longer flow to him, and the wall of Babylon has fallen. Go out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life for the fierce anger of the Lord. Let not your heart faint, and be not fearful at the report heard in the land when a report comes in one year, and afterward a report in another year, and violence is in the land, and a ruler against ruler. Therefore, behold, the days are coming when I will punish the images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be put to shame, and her, all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon, for the destroyers shall come against them out of the north, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of all the earth. Now, some people over the years have said, Jim, Babylon's destruction isn't future. It already happened. The Medes and the Persians came and took over. Hang on for a second. Did the Medes and the Persians come and live in the land of Babylon? Hopefully you know the answer to that question. The answer is yes. When the Medes and the Persians came in, they just took over and lived in the land. But when ba it wasn't Babylon at that time, but it was the land of the Medes and the Persians. But at the same time, this prophecy is about a future day when the final judgment comes on Babylon and no one will ever live in it again. By the way, some of you want to do some fun research? Just start Googling what's going on right now in Babylon. It's in Iraq. The United States' biggest, most beautiful U.S. embassy 
has been built there. Ever since Saddam Hussein was removed, billions and billions of oil dollars have poured into that area. Two of the seven wonders of the world are there, and it's becoming a huge tourist place. And the Bible actually says, don't have time to get into that tonight, that that's going to be the headquarters of the Antichrist kingdom in the last days. And there's a judgment that is still coming on Babylon. Did you read it? For all they did to Israel and the things that Nebuchadnezzar did. Let me give you one more because I think this talks to America. Go to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, look at verses 1 and 2. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have what? Divided up my land. Folks, I don't care which side of the aisle you're on politically. Both Republican and Democrat presidents in the United States have been telling Israel to divide the land for peace. And the Bible says that there's going to come a day when God will gather all the nations. At the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be a judgment on all the nations because of what they did to Israel and because they divided the land. That's why we need to pray for leadership that is pro-Israel. But let me just tell you, there's a judgment coming on America because of the things we've already done. By the way, some of you may not know this, this image that was made that everybody was to bow down to, it's also a picture, a type of the coming Antichrist, who with the help of the false prophet will make everyone on the earth worship him in the image of him that he's made. Go to Revelation chapter 13. Go ahead. In, in Jeremiah 51, or one of those recent... Um, Shishak in right. I got to be honest with you. I couldn't tell you who Shishak was right offhand. It just says it was a code name for Babylon. It was a code name for Babylon. Sheila says it was a code name for Babylon. So I'm citing my sources. All right. All right. That's good enough for you. Go to Revelation 13 verses 1 through 18. There you go. Revelation 13, 1 through 18. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. With ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head, heads, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. We'll get into that later in Daniel. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have had a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who's like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints, these are the tribulation saints, and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Sound familiar? It's going to happen again. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Does that sound almost like word for word, the description of the authority that was given Nebuchadnezzar? Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. 
Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth as the, the false prophet. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. And it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is, that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, here we see that the Antichrist, the one last world power that we looked at last week, that's going to be at the last time, he's going to have an image. And he's going to want everybody to worship him and the image that he sets up. And this image is actually going to come to life and speak. By the way, Satan doesn't have anything new. But God's allowing this for his reasons. There's a judgment that's coming. Folks, if you aren't here on the earth when this happens, I hope you're not. Because I believe the church will be removed. But if you're here on the earth when this happens, learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't worship it. Oh, you'll be killed. But you'll spend eternity with God in heaven because of your faith in him and Jesus Christ. I pray that none of you that are listening here are going to be here at that time if it happens in our lifetime. But I also know this. You may have descendants who need to know these things. People say, Jim, the book of Revelation was written to the church as you teach it. Most of the stuff that happens in Revelation happens after the church is gone. Why, why is it given to the church? Well, aren't you glad that Daniel wrote down the stuff that happened that he saw in his lifetime, even though it wasn't going to happen in his lifetime, the prophecies he was given at the end. Remember how he was told at the end of Daniel? He said, when's this going to happen? How's this going to be? And he says, seal up the words. It's not going to happen in your lifetime. Aren't you glad Daniel wrote it down and passed it on? Aren't you glad Isaiah wrote down the stuff that he wrote, even though he searched intently, wanting to know the times of the seasons that the Spirit of Christ in him was now prophesying about? And he and the other prophets were told, we're pointing to a time when the Messiah is going to come and it's not going to happen in your lifetime. Aren't you glad Jeremiah wrote his stuff down? We have a responsibility as his church to know what the book of Revelation says, to know what Daniel says, and to tell people this is coming. Even though we're not going to be here. We need to let them know because you may have descendants and family members and they need to know don't worship the beast. Now and go back to Daniel chapter 3 and look at verse 8. Notice who comes forward to accuse the three Hebrew young men. Notice that they're, Chal they're the Chaldeans. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Uh, by the way, the Hebrew young men had been taken captive into Babylon. They had been trained in their culture. But the Chaldeans never really accepted them into their ranks because of their differentness, because of their God. Here they had been put in authority. They're one of the rulers there in Babylon. But the Babylonians never really accepted them. Let me say this to you. Good. For too long, the church has tried to blend in with the world. The church went through a phase in the 70s and 80s and 90s where they tried to become like the world. And we want the world to know we're no different from them. You ever hear that? You ever hear people say that? We're no different from you. Yes, we are. 
We're peculiar people. We're strangers and aliens on this earth. We're children of God and we're actually to be in the world, but not of it. We're not like the world. And if the world doesn't accept you, that's a good thing. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Some of you young people that are listening right now, that's a hard struggle. Because the young people, their biggest thing is what their friends and everybody else thinks of them. As we get older, we less, less care less and less. But when we're young, it, it, it drives us. I remember when I was a young kid and didn't have a whole lot of money. And, and I always got my hair cut, you know, uh, by the barber or by my mom or whatever. And I remember the first time that I actually went to a salon. And I got, when I was a senior in high school, my first salon haircut. I saved up my money and I got, you remember the part down the middle and the feather it back? You remember what I'm talking about? I used to, when I played basketball in high school, carry a rat tail comb in my sock because back then you had the high socks. And I kept a sock in my, sorry, a comb in my sock during the basketball game. So at timeouts, I could pull out my comb and flip my hair back on. And because I knew now that I've got the haircut of the world, they're going to accept me. Of course, they didn't because I was still wearing the hand-me-down clothes. But I had the haircut of everybody else. 1 Peter 4, look at verses 1 through 5. It's, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living in the dead. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone, a stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to you, destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, beloved I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, though don't know God, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. By the way, isn't that exactly what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were accused of being evildoers. But as you're going to see in our study next week, God showed up and proved them to be the ones in the right. Now, before we end tonight's study, looking at the three young men's response to the king, 
I want to show you real quickly how quickly Nebuchadnezzar forgets who God is. Go back to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, look at verses 46 and 47. After Daniel interpreted to him the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar fell down upon his face, and he paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. So Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, Your God is the God of gods. There is no God bigger and more powerful than your God. Now look at Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Listen, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? How quickly he forgets about the God of gods. Oh, by the way, as you're going to see in our study of Daniel, he's about to be introduced to him again and again and again. Now, before you get too hard on Nebuchadnezzar too quickly, you and I tend to forget who God is on a daily basis as we struggle with our flesh. Anybody else here know that the God, God's word is true and that we should do what he says? Anybody? Please, I hope you all can say yes, right? Okay. Um, anybody here do what he says, all, does what he says all the time? We forget. Sometimes our flesh wins. We know that we're to trust him, that he's big and powerful and sovereign. And there's nothing greater than our God. Yet sometimes COVID makes us more afraid than fearing God. And sometimes the report from the doctor makes us more afraid. Than, and we fear that more than we, we trust God. And we all have a tendency on a daily basis to forget that he is who he is. I'm not going to have you turn there, but it's interesting. If you study the scriptures, you'll see that the, the disciples keep thinking they've got him figured out. Jesus figured it out, and then all of a sudden he does something else, and they're like, oh, well, we didn't think we knew him. I love how in Mark chapter 5, they're in the boat with Jesus, and, and the storm comes up, and he's asleep in the back, and they wake him, and they say, Lord, don't you care for perishing? I love that. That's the whole reason he was on the earth, is because he cared that they were going to perish. But he gets up, and he just speaks to the wind and the waves and says, be still, and the wind and the waves literally went... Phew. I mean, to the point... That the disciples said, and go back and double check me. They said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In Luke chapter 5, verse 8, we see Peter meet Jesus. And he, Jesus does the miracle in Luke 5 of the miraculous catch of fish. And Peter said, well, you, we've already fished all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll humor you and we'll go out and throw the net out. And they have so much fish. Peter falls down on his knees before Jesus and says, Get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Yet, in chapter 22 of Luke, Jesus has to turn to him and says, you're going to act like you never met me before. How can you go from your Lord, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, to saying, I never met the man? Because we all got a problem, and it's called our flesh. And it's powerful. But there's greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. 
And that's why on a daily basis we have to take the time to renew our minds to this truth. It's why we need to get up every morning and spend some time with the Father saying, Lord, you are God. And you're in control. And stuff's going to happen today that may cause me to question or to doubt or to worry or to fear. And I don't want to let that happen, but I have to renew my mind. Or I'm going to be like Nebuchadnezzar and forget how big you are. Now we're going to close tonight by looking at the response of these three Hebrew young men in the face of a severe test of faith. Let me ask you a question. Had they gotten a word from God as to how this was going to play out? No, they hadn't. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, we don't know how this is going to play out. Our God's able to do this. We believe that without a doubt. But whether he will or not, we don't know. They also trusted God so much that they were willing to give up their lives in this life. I got to be honest with you, folks, and I'm just going to shoot straight with you, but I hope you understand whenever I do this, I do it in love. I've been grieved over the last year or so watching so many Christians fearful about their life. When the Bible says we are supposed to have given our life to Jesus, whether we live or whether we die. And most of us, all of a sudden, when it comes time that we may die, all of a sudden, all those things that we said over the years doesn't play out because all of a sudden we're so afraid of dying. You probably had a few passages read to you this past Sunday on Easter Sunday, how Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, has removed the fear of death for those of us who are his children. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? But because we lose sight of these truths, sometimes we fall into fear and worry and panic. Go real quickly to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, look at verses 23 through 26. Luke 9, 23 through 26, And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, how often? Daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Look at verses 7 through 11. Revelation 12 verses 7 through 11. It says, now a war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, Satan, was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, him and his angels. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Listen, for they love not their lives even unto death. Remember how we read earlier in chapter 13, how when Satan is allowed to have authority on the earth through the Antichrist? He's given permission and authority to conquer the saints. But those saints will be rewarded for eternity because in the face of death, take the mark or be killed. They said, 
Kill me. Kill me. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some, though, were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute and afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Here we see God sometimes gives you victory over foreign armies, escape the edge of the sword. Others, because he's able to rescue us, sometimes he chooses not to for his purposes. Others were killed by the sword and they were commended for their faith. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Our greatest example is Jesus himself. Listen again to verses 5 through 11, but listen to it in this context. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus himself submitted himself to the role the Father had for him on this earth And what was the role the father had for him? To come and to live without sin and to die. Oh, but not just any death. A death on a cross. The absolute worst kind of death that was even available at that time and probably still is. Yet, even though our Lord was willing to humble himself, how many of us are willing to lay ourselves and say, Lord, whatever your plan is for my life? Folks, let me tell you. I'm grateful that I'm still here being able to preach and God's used me since my cancer in the way in which I'm getting more reward restoring up in heaven for when I get there. But when the news came about the fact that I had cancer and it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and I asked the nurse, if I just don't do anything, how long do I have? She said less than two years. My wife and my kids will tell you they're here. I never worried for a second. You know why? Because I really believe that my God is in control of my life. And if he takes me, I get to go be in heaven. If I stay, I get to hang out with my family and keep preaching and telling people about Jesus. When everybody was saying, oh, Jim, we're so sorry you got cancer. I looked at him and said, you don't understand. I'm in the best position. I win. Either way, I win. Oh, isn't that what Paul said in Philippians 1? Look at verses 19 through 23. We'll close with this. Listen to this. Paul says, writing from prison, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. By the way, as you're about to see, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die just yet. 
but it's going to turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means more fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul's sitting in prison at that time. If you keep reading, he realizes the Spirit's showing him you're going to stay on the earth for a little longer. But at that point, he goes, I don't know if I'm going to live or going to die in this prison. But you know what? Either way is good. It's going to work out for my deliverance. I'm good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were at peace. You know how I can prove to you they were at peace? Go back to Daniel 3. Look at how they said it to the king. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't even have to respond. You do what you're going to do, and God will hold you accountable for it. But even though we don't know how this is going to play out, we're not bowing to your image, because he's already said to bow to no one but him alone. And if that means we die, great. Is he able to rescue us? Sure. And he may. But if he chooses not to, it ain't changing anything. Folks, that is real faith. Can't wait to tell you how he solves it. Some of you know the story. Some of you may not. But Jesus shows up before Jesus even came in a human form to the earth. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.